You ever get that vague sense of longing for the things that you had before quarantine? I know for me, one of those things that keeps coming back is baseball. The interminably long 162 games of baseball was just always on in the background until this year. It was this comfort, this consistent conversation about pitch counts and batting averages. I know it's boring to some people, but to me, it's like water. I've had a game going on in the background from the time I was six or seven years old. And this year, it's gone. And I know I'm not alone in feeling that way, which is why I found today's story so fascinating. And I think even if you don't like baseball, you will too. Now, American baseball fans are finding another way to enjoy our favorite pastime. But it's not in America. Starting this month, ESPN has been airing KBO games six days a week. That's the Korean Baseball Organization. With the crowd singing and dancing along, this is probably an unusual sight that can only be seen at Korean baseball games. Depending on where you live, weekday game watching might mean waking up in the middle of the night to watch. But to a lot of sports fans, that's worth it. Plus, it's the chance to develop an allegiance to a new team, like the Kia Tigers. In South Korea, baseball, the Pro Baseball League, is one of the most popular sports, most popular leagues, the highest TV ratings, uh, games with the highest attendance in that country. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Our producer, Joanna Clay, has this story. My first Korean baseball experience was the fall of 2000. This is Dan Kurtz. He's 40, lives in Tacoma, Washington, and runs a KBO fan site. And he remembers the first time he saw a Korean baseball game live. He was studying abroad in South Korea, and his friends knew he was a huge sports fan. So they said, let's go to a game. As soon as we got out of the subway and started walking up, there was just an electric feel to it. There was a buzz going on. And not not just the way that the buzz happens at Major League Baseball stadiums, but I mean, literally, there was like, you know, it was like a party atmosphere kind of. Every vendor you can imagine selling their food, you know, the guy's trying to give you tickets. And then it wasn't until I got into the stadium and then I realized this is going to be different. This is going to be fun. Right away, Dan noticed the cheering. When you go to a KBO baseball game, you know, when there isn't a pandemic, it's insane. The stadium is sold out, filled to the rafters. There are people called cheermasters who lead the cheers. They synchronize the clapping, there's dances. Each team has their own song. Not only that, each player has a song. So when a guy goes up to bat, he has a walk-up song on the loudspeakers and everyone is cheering and singing along. It is a thing. I remember going, man, this is like I'm at like a rock concert or something, and I'm watching baseball at the same time, just because they're singing, chanting, thundersticks, clapping, everything going on. 
For Dan, that game was special. A lifelong sports fan, it gave him a connection to South Korea, his birth country. I was adopted at the age of four months. And so I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, like an hour in Amish country, Lancaster County, it's called. My last name is Kurtz, which is of German descent. His first trip to South Korea was the year before, in 1999, when he was 19 years old. It's called a motherland trip. He and a bunch of other adoptees spent a little over a week seeing tourist spots and getting to know a bit about their heritage. And then when I decided to study abroad there in the year 2000, that's when I learned more about their pro sports there. And that's when my friend started saying, hey, come to the pro baseball games. Dan didn't speak Korean, at least not yet. But he did speak baseball. The funny thing is that my family, nobody's a really a hardcore sports fan. I was the kid that somehow grew up, latched onto sports for some reason. Any time the daily newspaper came, I'd grab the sports section, read the standings, read every article, and then put it back. He was obsessed with sports, a typical kid in so many ways. And for the longest time, he never really noticed that his family stuck out a little, at least where he lived. So my younger sister is adopted from El Salvador, but the rest of my family is Caucasian. So growing up, I did not think anything of it. I thought every family was like this, that they had people of different races and colors in their family. But sitting in that stadium in South Korea, surrounded by people who looked like him, it must have been a trip. Because growing up in rural Pennsylvania, that was not the case. I did not have my first Korean-American friend until I went to high school. So I knew very little bit about the country because the internet was not what it is right now. I couldn't just jump onto Wikipedia. It was literally dial-up and America Online. So the way that I learned about my birth country was through checking out books at the school or going through encyclopedias. Until his motherland trip and studying abroad in college, all Dan knew about Korea was stuff he had read. But when he went to his first KBO game, it all clicked. Now that I think about it, when I realize why did I get so into this KBO, why did I get so into Korean baseball, I look back onto it and going, this was my connection to my birth country. This is how I stayed up to date with what's going on in Korea. And this is how I felt I was being Korean, but yet at the same time, I'm being the biggest sports fan ever too. In tracking the games, it became a way to learn Korean, a language he taught himself from scratch. And before long, Dan was the go-to guy for all things KBO. People would start coming up to me because they knew that I started following the league more than anybody else around. And they're like, hey, you know, does somebody have a game tonight? And, be, and I'd check the newspaper and I'd be like, yes, they have a game tonight at 630 at, at this stadium. And then I tell them how to get to the stadium. This was the early aughts before Google was the answer to everything. And he thought, why not make a website? Or because this is 20 years ago, a message board. I remember posting literally to myself going, here's the stats, here's the standings, here's the games that are being played this week, and I'd be the only one posting. After a while, it gained a few new members. A few years later, he got a domain name, mykbo.net. 20 years later, it's still a resource for English speakers wanting to learn about the league and track games. It's also frequently cited in the media. Dan would be the last to admit it, but I mean, he's an expert. For anyone thinking about tuning in to a KBO game right now, there's a few things to know about it. For one, the KBO is hugely popular in South Korea. Games can attract over 
10,000 fans. So that's smaller than a major league game here, but Dan says they make it sound like a crowd of 50,000. It is maybe embraced more than Major League Baseball has been here in the last couple years. But in South Korea, baseball, the Pro Baseball League, is one of the most popular sports, most popular leagues, the highest TV ratings, uh, games with the highest attendance in that country. You might even see some familiar faces from the MLB when you tune in, like Nick Kingham, who used to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates, or Jamie Romack, formerly with the LA Dodgers and St. Louis Cardinals, Both are on the KBO league team, SK Wyverns. But there's some things that will look a little different too. There's some unwritten rules, like respecting your elders. If a 20-year-old pitcher hits a 30-year-old batter with a ball, he has to tip his hat and bow in respect. And bat flipping, you know, when a batter throws his bat in the air, maybe after hitting a home run. In the US, it's seen as rude or arrogant, kind of showing off, celebratory. But in the KBO, It's common. It's just seen as adding some flair to the game. But the most obvious difference? The corporate sponsors. Baseball teams, instead of being named after their hometown or their city, are named after their corporation. So we have the LG Twins, who are owned by the LG Electronic Company, and they're based in Seoul. So rather than saying the Seoul Twins, everybody just calls them LG. Are you an LG fan? So it's a way to basically keep the corporate name on everybody's tongue. Flip that over here to the United States. Yes, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan, but they also happen to play at the Citizens Bank Ballpark, which is a major bank in the area. So we may not name our teams after corporate sponsors, but we will sponsor stadiums here in the United States. But just like the U.S., the fandom is regional. If you're from Busan, you're likely rooting for the Lotte Giants, which are based there. Whereas here in the United States, new fans are trying to find ways to become, you know, fans of these teams. And so they may be looked down and say, hey, I carry a Samsung phone, so I'm going to cheer for the Samsung Lions. If that's the way you want to do it as a new fan, I say go for it. Because again, it's hard to get these connections all the way here, uh, halfway across the globe. For Dan, the KBO has been a way to make his world smaller, to connect to South Korea, his birth country, while he's living his everyday life here in Washington. But this season, it feels different. When people watch games now, they're not going to see the thing that attracted Dan to the KBO in the first place, the fans. I'm hoping that the fans that are watching on ESPN, watching in games going on in empty stadiums, I hope that they go on YouTube, they look up clips of some past games. Because once fans are in the game, even if you're watching on TV, it's simply loud and amazing at how loud they can be with the cheering. When the quarantine started in March, KBO teams were just heading home from spring training. So they got home, and like the rest of the world, they stayed home. And then to have it all of a sudden stop, literally worldwide, it's just kind of jarring as a sports fan. And it's also just makes you look at it and going, wow, this this pandemic is serious. But as the curve started to flatten in South Korea, the KBO let the players play, but without fans in the stadium. Then in April, the news broke. In the absence of Major League Baseball, ESPN would begin airing six KBO games a week. They would have English-speaking announcers, talking about the games, giving commentary. Opening day was May 5th. 
there was a little bit of hesitation there to see how the American general public was going to perceive the league. Were they just going to watch it and maybe say, this is not the major leagues and kind of, you know, just make fun of it or just not even tune in. But from my response that I've been getting on social media is that Americans are loving live baseball. They wake up, eat breakfast and finish some Korean baseball games. So, I mean, I think the exposure for the league has been incredible. Literally, they will write news articles on the coverage that it is receiving in the United States. So there will be an article online about how ESPN covered last night's game. For Dan, what makes the KBO so unique, so fun, is the atmosphere, the cheering, the energy, the fans. When he sees them, he imagines himself in the stands, cheering for his team, half a world away. It's magic. But that magic, it's all gone. But the KBO is getting this larger exposure, this bigger audience, because of the pandemic. So for the KBO and for Dan, it's kind of a catch-22. Either way, Dan hopes new fans continue following the league so they can see what it's really like. I hope that every fan that watches the KBO and became a KBO fan over these over the next few months decides to head to South Korea and decides to take in a baseball game over there because like I said it is an experience that can only be described not by words but actually by in person sitting there in the in the seat and just taking it all in for the first time in maybe all of our lives the world is going through the same thing at the same time together and in some ways it's blurred the boundaries that may have seemed fixed before between countries, between cultures. There's something cool imagining a family in Wisconsin taking in a KBO game and planning a post-COVID trip because of it. So the whole purpose of my website, even when I started it 20 years ago and it was just a message board, was basically I myself am a fan and I wanted to try to help other fans learn more about the KBO and Korean baseball so that maybe they themselves become interested in the league and wanted to follow the teams and the players themselves. And who knows, maybe they end up living in Korea, visiting Korea, taking in a game and going, you know what, it's as good as I heard and I'm glad that I came over. Sports have been this crucial connector for Dan. It connected him to Philly as a kid, and it connected him to his birth country. When he didn't have the words to say in Korean, baseball was the common language. As I spoke to him, he was hiding in a closet, surrounded by KBO jerseys. Sometimes you could hear his daughter's voice outside the door, a stay-at-home dad. He's been balancing talking sports with homeschooling his kids. I asked if he's grooming future KBO fans. He said he took his son to a couple games, but he wasn't interested. He was around five years old at the time. So we literally would only last about three to four innings before he says, I'm bored. I want to go home. But his son still might have that sports fan gene, just not the KBO one. His sport of passion is bowling, professional bowling. And so I know nothing about the PBA. And so I feel a little bit like the outsider is trying to learn about the KBO. And so it's been a great learning experience for me as I try to learn about his sport and and things that he's interested in. How did he discover professional bowling? My son has loved bowling ever since he was three years old. He is on the autistic spectrum, very mild. 
um, things that are with repetition he likes to watch over and over. And one thing that he loved to watch over and over was a bowling ball going down the lane. And whether that's in person or watching it on TV, it's it's what he does. And so now he is able, he just made me a slideshow the other day of like the top 50 PBA bowlers. I was like, wow, there's 50? I had no clue. Please teach me. And so he made that for me. He, he presented it to me. He showed me their names and their birth dates. And I said, you know what? You should make a PBA website. And so who knows? Maybe down the road, maybe there's a my PBA website and it's my son running it. I love that. A big thank you to Dan Kurtz. I love his personal connection to the KBO. And now I have a great primer as I flip on ESPN and watch the games myself. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Every week, we receive emails, private messages on Twitter, and posts on Facebook from listeners. You're telling us what your lives are like and what you're going through right now. And at the end of every episode, we're going to share them with you here. Yori Chisholm is a professional bagpiper and bagpipe teacher. He lives in Seattle, Washington. But he teaches online, and he decided that the lockdown was a great excuse to host one of his online piping and drumming competitions. So we've heard from a lot of pipers and drummers around the world who are stuck home during this time. And some people are very busy and are facing, you know, real challenges. And we understand that playing music and pursuing their hobby is not something that they're able to do right now. But we've also heard from people who are saying they have lots of time right now because of their situation. And they're really getting a lot of enjoyment out of playing their pipes and drums. So that's why it was so important to me to put together this event to give pipers and drummers this opportunity to play and really to perform and to be part of this broader community that we all know and love, but doing it in this online format. Thanks, Yori, for sharing. You can send your voice memo about your life in isolation to us, pitches at neonhum.com. We'd love to hear from you. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was reported and produced by Joanna Clay. It was edited by Vikram Patel. Our engineer is Mark Bush. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks to hear in this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. We have a Facebook page now. Just search for Telescope. Be sure, if you like this program, to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find out about us. And most importantly, we want to stay connected with you during this time. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are always open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you want to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. I know it's a short week, but we're making it through. See you on Friday. 